One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This show contains adult themes and is not suitable for children. But his relationship with his father was so toxic. He hated the idea that his son was gay. His right. dad was a proper gangster. Yeah. He bullied him and beat him. Fortunately, he'd had his head blown off when, right. by the time I met Bernie on the doorstep. Right. With Bernie standing next to him. I can't tell you why he left the Groucho. It's not for me to say. Suffice to say, Bernie got himself into a dreadful state and felt the only way out was death. In the last episode, we got a glimpse of Bernie's extraordinary funeral. We heard tributes from close friends who turned out to pay their respects to the little man they knew as the Prince of Soho. We got an inkling of Bernie himself, the energetic host who knew everyone but kept his secrets to himself. We also got a sense of how his life was to unravel and eventually end so tragically in that small flat in North London. We looked at what might have happened to Bernie, his involvement with drugs, and we touched on the pressure he was under when he got on the wrong side of the ruthless gangsters who may have caused his death, either directly or indirectly. I met them downstairs here wearing canary yellow trousers. said, if you take him, I take you. And if you want more, because we knew some other friendly Albanians. Yeah. And they nearly got to Albania more. And I said, this isn't happening. 10, 15 years after I first met him, I discovered that he had an autistic nephew and that he was um, deeply involved in his care. And his, his nephew was quite troubled. He could be violent. Even Bernie, with you, he never really had off days, but those that knew him, you knew if he was a bit sad. But you're like, oh, man, a bit of a man, I won't bore you with it now. Yeah. But you would collar him. Come, Bernie, you've helped me out for years. And people wanted to know what's mm-hmm. going on. People couldn't fucking rally to be so quickly enough. It may seem glamorous to be a popular and well-known figure of the kind he was, but in fact there was a lot of work, very little money, and too many temptations into addiction and late nights for either his physical or mental health. Three years after Bernie's death and the funeral that stopped the traffic in a large chunk of the West End, the downstairs restaurant at the back of the Groucho, named off the club's most famous employee, is still open. The brasserie was renamed Bernie's shortly after his demise. A beautiful portrait of Bernie by the artist Nina Fowler has been placed on one wall. In that picture, 
Bernie looks strangely ethereal, almost serene. In real life, of course, Bernie never was one to seem ethereal or serene, but the painting does him proud. Bernie had been keeping journalist Kate Spicer and presenter Richard Bacon in check since he started at the Grout Show, with varying degrees of success. Everything was sounded with a kind with a kind of alarm, whether it was positive or negative. You were great, you like that. I turned up at the at the Groucho one night with my dog, who is a sizable lurcher, sizable shaggy lurcher. And um I'd rung Bernie beforehand say, Can I come in with my dog? He's like, Yeah, of course. I turned up at reception. I said, oh, Bernie said it was all right to bring the dog in. No, no, you can't have a dog in here. You can't have a dog in here. I was like, get Bernie, which is a classic line everybody always said, get Bernie, because Bernie's rules were different from everybody else's rules. Bernie could help bend the rules to whichever shape you wanted them to be as long as he liked you and he wanted you in the club. And he had done that for me on occasions, you know, and I was not a great friend of his. I am not famous, but once he decided he liked you, he could bend the rules to accommodate you. That's quite magical in this day and age where everything's kind of done by numbers and bureaucratic and boring. So I turn up with my big shaggy lurcher and he comes he comes thundering down the stairs and he looks at me and he goes, not that one, that's the size of an horse. <laughs> and he uh, yeah, basically kicked me out of the club. But in a way I was quite relieved. I thought of my dog having to sort of pad around all those furiously drinking cokeheads didn't make me feel great anyway <laughs> but he did everything with the same extremely high theatrical energy so when you experienced a fuck off from Bernie it was slightly different from getting a fuck off from anyone else not only did he of course he knew our names but he would know my mum and dad's names and my in-laws' names and my friends' names. And he, even though it was a members club, it had that philosophy that I approach my own life with, which is, you know, there's rules, but they're, they're there to very much be um, bent and gotten around. And so you could turn up at the Grouch Show with 20 people unannounced. <laughs> and I think under the terms of their license, a member's allowed to bring in three people. I think that's the law. And I, honestly, I've turned up with with nearly 20, and Bernie's just gone, yeah, go on, darling, go in. Bernie brought energy to the Groucho. He, he mixed people, he introduced people, he greeted shy people as if they were rock stars, and, and he treated rock stars like they were his cleaners. And, they all, and everybody loved it. The rules we live by day to day in, our, in, in London, in, in establishments, didn't apply in the Groucho. Bernie created an alternative universe. And he kind of, he, he hooted and squawked and screamed over, the, over it, sort of like a kind of giant leopard print eagle. He's always sort of hovering there. And if he wasn't, there was a great sense of disappointment. You know, you'd always find yourself out on the smoking terrace going, Bernie in. And then someone would go, no, he's not in tonight. And you'd be like, oh, a little bit sad. Then the minute he approached you, you feel a little bit tired because his, his energy was just so high. Somehow, in this room in the Groucho, it feels as if Bernie's spirit is still with us. And for many, like friend and hospitality recruitment director Richie Foster Thorne, he was the Groucho. The way that, the way that I knew Bernie in my mind, and I understood it very, very early on, is that 
when you're working with such a high-profile members club and everybody mm. comes in with a degree of ego or a certain mm. belief in their own abilities, but coupled with that, probably some crippling anxieties and some sort of social awkwardness, mm. am I not going to be... When you look at the sort of people you knew, act, actors, they're a funny breed anyway. Writers, artists, continually yeah. being pulled apart and dissected and gauged and mm. judged all the time. And I think the whole idea... I, the only way that I would say, and I, what I learned from Bernie is this, when you are in a group of people, you've got friends there, they've got other friends there, nobody really knows each other, but you are the sort of person that joins them all up. And everybody's feeling a little bit anxious, they know of these people, nobody wants to take the first step mm. forward. Somebody has to. Somebody has to fall on their sword, say something daft, and then they all laugh together in unison. And as you make your excuses and disappear, they've got a point to talk about. Corey's hell of a laugh, this bloke, mm. isn't he, as you walk on. So how do you know him? And all of a sudden, it's this organic conversation that started. And it's like magic, and he sprinkles it. And it might take for him to act a fool and fall on his sword mm. in a group of people or trip up down the stairs or wear something. In my mind, if somebody's coming into Soho, coming into the Grouch, and what do you wear? Judge the look down, you have to dress up. Trainers were holding him and jeans were resting, knowing that Bernie was in there wearing the most outrageous thing you could yeah, ever think of yeah. and owning it. Mm. So if he feels comfortable tripping over down the stairs or eating an orange bar in the bar and spitting the pips at people, then everybody else immediately feels more comfortable. Sure, that yeah. is what he was a master at, is he was a master at making people feel loved yeah. and welcome and smashing down walls of uh, self, uh, sort of uh, anxiety. You know, when you look inwardly, you're mm. sort of continually judging yourself. Didn't have any time for that at all. Mm. Not on his watch. In his mind, everybody just have a drink and get on with it. It was a wonderful way to be, and I've never seen anybody do it quite no. If you look at the spectrum of people that, do you know what, when Bernie taught, everybody listened. And it's not because he was particularly loud, it's because everybody knew how they, how comfortable he made them feel originally. Mm. You know, Stephen Fry, or Jim Law, or any of these yeah. unbelievable people, they will always have a very quiet moment for Bernie. He knew me when he was nothing, and he treated me exactly the same. I mean, he backed with us, let's be yeah. absolutely clear. If you're an idiot, I remember him, legging out to the terrace once he kicked the door open and he walked past and he'd do, he'd do a glide past and he'd do this, he'd do this sort of sideward look. About 10 seconds, I'd be smoking, come back and draw up and he'd be like, right, Reggie, clap his hands, everyone looks like, Reggie, come on, I need you, you old slosher, I need you immediately, come here. He'd say, I'm burning, I'm just come here. And he'd drag you, you know, by this yeah, yeah. scruffy neck, you come through. You get into the restaurant, you go, well, what's all that about? What do you need? And he went, nothing, but I don't want you talking to him, he's the dullest bloke ever, I thought I'd say that. I'm going to go and get a drink. And you think, it was exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. But I would never have told yeah. anybody or given anybody in collection. He could see that, you know what, oh, that doesn't match. That mm. bloke and that guy don't go together. Right, oh, yeah. We're going to take it apart. Because otherwise everyone's going to have a shit night. Mm. And he was, yeah, he was a master of that. In that time, the club changed dramatically, going through a series of incarnations. But Bernie remained at his post throughout until things began to go wrong, horribly wrong. He finally left in the spring of 2017 under a huge cloud and there's every sign looking back that his forced departure from the job he loved was the trigger, the catalyst that would lead to his undoing. Little more than five months after Bernie had left the Groucho, he was dead. The club put out a short, terse announcement but no reason was given. Some suggested a heart attack. By the time he had stepped down, Bernie had clocked up more than 27 years of service. He'd started as a barman in 1990, at a time when the Groucho was at its fashionable cocaine-fueled zenith. In particular, the upstairs snooker room was widely known as the Peruvian Procurement Department. Again, we should stress, without the knowledge of the management, 
We do know that Bernie, for reasons of his own, spent a lot of his time up there, and he wasn't that keen on snooker. Bernie himself talked about the snooker room in the book published in 2015 to mark the club's 30th year. It's still the naughty place. There are always people in there using it in the most decadent way. It's definitely the most decadent room in the club. I love the fact that it's still called the snooker room, even though there's no longer a snooker table in there. It's lovely. Every night's party night in there. Somehow the club became a club within a club. It became a private enclave for the club's most unclubbable and degenerate members. Alex James of Blur was one of the noisier people and would often be heard shouting, I'll take you all on, you posh fuckers. In 1996, the snooker room was the scene of a public showdown between actress Patsy Kensett and her then-boyfriend, Liam Gallagher. Glasses and snooker balls were thrown and Gallagher ended up trashing not just his own evening, but the table and the room itself. But still, the club survived. PR guru Mark Bukowski joined the club in the early 80s. I was a very young um, publicist at the Theatre Hall Stratford East. And the man that, uh, who designed all the posters for the theatre um, told me about this idea of this new type of members club opening. And for me, you know, clubbing, members club, was sort of full of sort of public schoolboys, all now of a certain age, you know, all having to wear ties and jacket and talking about things I wasn't interested in. And so he, he assured me it wasn't going to be the case. This was something completely fresh and new, and it's true it was. The Groucho is the kind of place that is guaranteed to divide opinion. There are those like me who are members and won't have a word said against it. We won't mention the ropey food and overpriced drinks. The twiglets, at least, are free. Others are less enamoured of it, dismissing it as pretentious and elitist. But isn't that the point of any club? To keep the riffraff out? You know, the Grats has changed, as all members' clubs have changed. I mean, as as as, as the sort of uh, the whole club scene that was originated, the alternative club scene that was originated by the Grats, everything has changed. Everything's different, everything's the same in the sense that everybody is still getting their kicks in the way they get the kicks, but there's a, there's a new morality to it. I mean, it was, it, it was back in Alien, you know, in that day. There was certainly, it was presided over by, by Liam, the manager. There was, you know, there was no closing time. There was no kicking people out when the witching hour came. You know, it's just 24-7. And um, it was a novelty. And when it's a novelty and a place to be, everybody turns up. And it, and it managed to maintain that novelty over the years until the Soho House came, you know, snapping at its heels and created an alternative. And But the Groucho was, was full of the literary giants. It was full of the music industry, the film industry, the, the woolies of the world. And, and of course, the alternative comedy scene. And, uh, of course, the, all those people at that time were, were, were driving to excess. You know, we, we're all younger and more irresponsible. And when you're younger and irresponsible, you do stuff. But, of course... You know, that morality has changed. You know, culture wars now won't allow half the stuff that went on. But that's what made it exciting. Um, and it was independently owned, Tony McIntosh and, and, and some of the original um, you know, managers and, and, and people involved with it all sort of cared and protected people. And 
what happened in the Groucho stayed in the Groucho, you know, until the likes of Toby Young came along to blow the cover and various, um, because no journalists were ever uh, ever allowed in um, unless they were highly trusted. And of course, as soon as they started to seep in, people were, were stringing out stories to the diaries. Set up in the 80s, the Groucho started out as a club for so-called media types. Well, pompous publishers would come here for lunch and to discuss book deals before taking a siesta in their offices after a bottle or two of Burgundy. It was all on the firm, of course. It was around this time that the club started to rent out bedrooms. A colleague of mine at the Daily Telegraph made the most of a small double room with two female publicists. But as the publishers and journos began to die off, cirrhosis is often a killer, the Groucho soon became a discreet and not-so-discreet celebrity haunt, and Burgundy was not their poison. They, with their hangers-on, were a motley crew, but with plenty of money. One celebrity PR I knew at the time even had her own PR, who presumably in turn had her own PR. But among the wannabes, there were some real stars. Apart from the Gallaghers, the regulars included Kate Moss, Keith Allen, Blur... Tracy Emin and Damien Hirst. The beauty of the place was that they could behave almost exactly as they liked without fear of ending up in the papers. The irony, of course, was that secretly a lot of members liked nothing more than to end up in the papers. It was a place for addicts, after all. And apart from anything else, these people were most of all addicted to publicity. Long-standing members like me who are still standing, well, just about, recall the time in 2002 when Bill Clinton strolled in with Bono and the pair really did jam together at the piano with Clinton on sax. Well, I, well, I wasn't there that evening. I certainly wasn't there that evening. I know it happened. I know he was there. Um, I think, you know, it, it, it certainly was a buzz the following day. I, I was there the day after he arrived. It was quite late. But of course, Bill Clinton would be there because, you know, you know as I said, it was back in Alien. Um, but I, I, you know, I often remember about, you know, there was a, there was a big football agent who used to bring all his, his clients in. Um, there was obviously the literary agents who brought their clients in. Uh, various people were given free memberships to be there. It was when Stephen Fry was a younger man, he, he propped up the bar. There were theatre producers. Uh, there were publicists. Um, every, you know, there wasn't anywhere else like that. It was unique. But you can only keep that collateral of uh, of hype in place if you are unique. Comedian Helen Lederer has been a member from almost the beginning. She told me that although the Groucho is still regarded in some quarters as being inauthentic or snobby, that couldn't be further from the truth. And as a member, as I say, I can't remember how many years, but it's probably 25 years of me going, something like that. Um, you know, it's a special place for me. Um, not the kind of sort of lush, lushy thing that people think. It's a place where you can go on your own as a woman. Uh, I would go there. I wouldn't go there on my own and just sit there. I would always go to meet someone. But it was so special. And the and the people, particularly earlier on people, before it went more corporate, um, you can I can just conjure them. The vibe was genuinely exciting for the individual it was a club that welcomed individuals you didn't you could just go there and function and and, and feel better 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Paulie Yates turning up with Michael Hutchins. Matt LeBlanc from Friends standing alone at the bar one Saturday evening. Wayne Sleep even took Princess Diana there for lunch and famously stiffed her with the bill. The 90s were the Groucho's heyday and Bernie's too. It was the club that everyone wanted to join and for reasons that have now become clear, everyone wanted to know Bernie. The Groucho had become Cool Britannia's front room. It had been colonised en masse by the new wave of young British artists that included Damien Hirst, Tracy Emin... Sam Taylor Woods and Sarah Lucas. One memorable night in 1995, Hurst put his £20,000 Turner prize money behind the downstairs bar. The next morning, with the party still going, he topped it up with another £20,000 from his own savings. Apart from the YBAs, regulars included television stars and Britpoppers, as we've heard, like Oasis and Blur. Eric Clapton and Bono were both members, and Bernie was in with all of them. Bernie, of course, was in with everyone. The Bernie stories, like the man himself, were vivid, outrageous and lurid. In the 90s, 
He and the actress Daryl Hannah once undertook a nighttime tour of Soho membership clubs. They shimmied across the rooftops, literally dropping in unannounced on flabbergasted members. Bernie also claims that Jessica Lang taught him to drink tequila and smoke cigars. He was entranced by Hollywood celebrity, but his concern for the welfare of rank-and-file Groucho members also knew no bounds. He personally wheeled home the habitually thirsty journalist Jeffrey Bernard after one heavy night. Bernard had by that point lost one leg to diabetes and was prone to assaulting random passers-by with his walking stick, simply because he didn't like the look of them. Bernie was happy to look after him. Bernie looked after a lot of people. That was his thing. Star of Abigail's Party and latterly Gavin and Stacey, actress Alison Stedman has been a Groucho member for years and knew Bernie well. Bernie Katz was, to me, he was the Groucho club. And the Groucho is not the same without him and it never will be for me. My sadness just doesn't go away. Uh, Bernie was fun, he was kind. When he walked in, the room just lit up. I once helped him in a small way to raise money for a charity connected to his nephew. I did very little, but Bernie never forgot it. He knew my favourite tipple and made sure several glasses always appeared. Uh, One time I complained that the Grouchuk Club didn't offer Prosecco in the bar. You know, they only sell very, very expensive, ridiculously expensive champagne. And on my next visit, I was greeted with a Prosecco cocktail, several in fact. He cared about his members and wanted everyone to be happy. He listened. Not everyone does. I loved his style of dress. Uh, I've never been able to establish exactly what happened and why, but whatever it was, it was so wrong. Miss you, Bernie. Helen Lederer also remembers Bernie fondly. My recollections of Bernie um, go back many years. Um, I can't imagine him without the leopard skin jacket, but he must have worn other colours. How did I know him? I think he just made himself known to everyone uh, in, in the early days, and then you felt bonded. Everybody felt that they had a particular special connection with him. I don't know how he did it because there were so many people in that club. And then whenever I'd see him, I'd kind of be like a, a puppy going, oh, are you gonna, oh, I'm here, I'm here, because we bonded. So he was very colorful. He made a connection with me um, <laughs> along with everyone else. And you just knew you would get his attention and his warmth and it would make you feel better. Other moments, too, became part of the Groucho tapestry. Sometimes Bernie could wildly overstep the mark. He was once interrupted in the snooker room while trying to give a blowjob to one sleeping and non-consenting rock star. It did not go down well, if you excuse the expression, and the member never forgave him. But Bernie, being Bernie, kept his job. Comedian Matt Richardson. 
he would always look after me, always made sure I'd eaten and things like that. And he just used to call me his Jewish mum. And but the problem with it was he would flip between going, going, oh, I'm your Jewish mum. I'm like your mum. I'm looking after you. And then he'd be going, oh, let me suck your massive cock, which is quite a confusing image to have about your Jewish mother. But that's what it was. Like one second, Bernie would be saying something really comforting and lovely and making sure I was okay. And then the next minute, he'd be telling me about all the cum he could guzzle. Um, and that was that was kind of the beauty of him. It was um, wholesome and filth within a heartbeat. He, look, Bernie used to, the thing is as well, is when Bernie would kiss you, he would climb you like a koala and then he would shove his tongue in your mouth, obviously because he's five foot nothing. So I was quite happy though. Like if Bernie stopped kissing me like that, I would have been upset about it. And it wasn't just new members that would get such attention, as Damon Bryant explains. I remember walking to Groucho once and Bernie goes, Damon, Damon, you know how to fix, you're, you're in the film business, you know how to fix a telly, don't you? I've got a problem with a telly in the bedroom. Naivety strikes. So I go up to his bedroom with Bernie, I go, what's the telly? Before I could do anything, turn around, taking his, his um, hair tie up, he flies his hair across and goes, come on, let me suck your knob. <laughs> And that was Bernie. As Bernie became more and more established at the Grout Show, his hissy fits, warm-hearted kindness and outrageous campery would invariably pep up all but the most bedraggled and wasted of clubgoers until it was time to go home. It was then that Bernie found himself showing members the door. And according to presenter Pete Donaldson, that was something he was rather good at. Nothing good ever comes from staying up past 2am. That's what anyone quoted uh, when he died. I remember it, hearing it slightly differently. He said 2am, but he also used to say, nothing good ever came from uh, more than two lines of coke. And, you know, that's just excellent advice generally. They should put that in the manual for life. <laughs> and, and, and that was the weird thing. I could never really place how old he was, but he just seemed incredibly wise beyond his years. I, he could be 30, he could have been 50. I, I, just, I just didn't really know until he, he sadly passed. And he was so lovely with it. The Groucho was always one of those places that I was um, I'd, I'd always be in on someone else's membership. I wasn't a member myself so I'd always be just a, a hanger on. But Bernie, he, he, he never differentiated between the two. He never gave a toss about how you got there. He was just lovely to you no matter what. That was until it got to about 2am and he wanted his staff to go home. He wanted the Groucho closed effectively and, and wow, I mean he was incredible. <laughs> He's this tiny four-foot-odd man who would just clear an entire building of pissed-up, just disgruntled idiots. It was fantastic to see. He would have cleared the Capitol building of QAnon in about five minutes. I'm fairly certain of that if he's still around. And um, this is a man who kicked out Madonna from the Groucho for being a prick. <laughs> when, you look at, when you look at Hutzpah in the dictionary, it should say Bernie Katz. So where did that Hutzpah come from? By anyone's standards, Bernie had a colourful family background. His father, Brian Clifford, was a ruthless South London gangster known as Little Legs. Here's Bernie talking to Matt Richardson on his Soho radio show. He didn't spend a lot of time talking about his family, but every now and again, he'd give us a glimpse here and there. I mean, I left school at 11. Did you really? I left school at 11. I went to work. I was busy. 
Where do you work? I work for my dad. Fair enough. What does he do? Bit of this and a bit of that. Fair enough. <laughs> Sounds legit. Yeah, it's totally, totally legit. I was just really busy. It's like I can't be doing all this at once. I've got, a, I've got a lot to get through. Scott's just, you know. Yeah, put so, that yeah, to one side. Put it to one side. Absolutely. They were glad. They were glad as well. The school was fair there. enough. They were glad. They used to go. I talked through the door. They go, Oh God, he's here. <laughs> we were hoping he was going to be late. Now, many years ago, I'm talking 1982. My dad had a restaurant in Endell Street. It was called oh. Swans. And before, before it was Swans, it was a really naughty boys nightclub. Ooh. I mean, it was, it was called, the, it was called the, the Peacock. And it was a really late night bar. And basically, you had to be a certain kind of man to go in there. You had to be, you know, like... So showbiz has always been in your... No, not show business. It's people that usually behind the scenes in show business. Yeah. You know, like the, you know, yeah. like the ones that... Are somewhat, some that appeared in, like, the Godfather type people. Yeah. The fluffers. Well, not so much the fluffers. fluffers. Yeah, the, the one, the, the big... The, the boys with the big gun. The relationship with his father was so toxic. He hated the idea that his son was gay. His right. dad was a proper gangster. He bullied him and beat him. Um... Did you, you ever know, meet his dad? No. Right. No, fortunately, he'd had his head blown off when, right. by the time I met Bernie on the doorstep. Right. With Bernie standing next to him. Bernie came down, there was a car far from. Guy blows his dad's head off, you know, literally bang. And the first thing Bernie does is run upstairs and get his crocodile shoes. That's how much lack of love he had for his dad. Right, yeah. That's, that's one of the tough bits because he then took on the mantle of his family and was, you know, for essentially his mum and two sisters, essentially the man of the house. In a funny way, a lot of the pressure came in part of Bernie's demise without being horrible to them, because I love his mum, why the funeral was so important for his mum, but there was a lot of strain coming from the family. He had to yeah. pay their rent. He had an autistic cousin, yeah. nephew, nephew yeah, yeah. who um, needed support and help. Yeah. And most of his money went, you know, keeping them afloat. In a memoir, the seasoned psychopath and torturer, mad Frankie Fraser, described Bernie's father as a mover, a buyer of gear. He was murdered at his home in 1979, probably by a rival gang. No one was ever caught. Bernie, then 15, and his mother, Rhoda, were both present in the house at the time. In Soho Society, the book Bernie published in 2008, he chronicled his father's death with a detached, macabre humour. So used was I to a life of drive-by shootings, I thought nothing of the sound of that gunshot, except that it intruded upon my viewing of The Price is Right. When I went to investigate, I discovered that thanks to the bullet through his head, my dad's brains were splattered across the four walls of his bedroom. Never one to miss an opportunity, I sashayed over to his wardrobe and navigated my way across the sea of footwear to his black Pierre Cardin alligator skin shoes, which I'd secretly always had my eye on. Thank God they were in the wardrobe. You see, something good always comes out of tragedy. Bernie's tragedy, as I discovered, was that after he left the Grant Show with no regular job, he had begun to succumb to the addictions that had dogged him throughout his life. He soon found himself with money troubles and he ended up taking small loans from friends. Here's Richie Fosterthorne. He said, what were you talking to Bernie about? Was it? I said, um, I was just having a chat about a couple of things. He went, fuck off, I know you better than that. He said, how much did you give him? 
Yeah. I said, come on, Dan. He's like, I said, no, I'm asking him. I should give him. I said, just cut 100 quid. Mm-hmm. He goes, all right, okay, fair enough. I said, will I get that money back? And he went, no, never. He'd always mean to give it back to you. Yeah. He'd never say that again. Yeah, but he doesn't mean not no. to. He would always mean to. And then, from what I've been told, things got much worse. Put bluntly, he got on the wrong side of the wrong type of people. Specifically, it was whispered, Albanian gangsters and their constant demands for repayments. The traffic-blocking turnouts at his funeral procession attested to the many people who counted Bernie as a friend. Yet very few of those friends were fully aware of the pressure he was under. As we have already learned, Bernie's body was found on 31st of August 2017 at his modest rented flat in Kentish Town, North London. The cause of death, according to Dr William Dolman, the coroner at St Pancras Coroner's Court, was suspension, a legalistic euphemism for hanging. He recorded an open verdict. Inevitably, rumours flew. Some members blamed the Groucho. Had the management been fair to Bernie after his many years of outstanding service? Was he pushed out? If so, why? The last time I saw Bernie was a weirdly emotional time. It was his last night at the Groucho um, when it was kind of his big retirement party. And it had been painted to everyone that he was retiring and that it was his choice and all this kind of stuff. And it was very evident that evening that that wasn't the case. And he was kind of being forced into this decision. So it was really bittersweet. And he was he wasn't really present at that party. Like he was there, but he wasn't there. It was a really strange evening. And you could see that he was upset and see that this wasn't how things should be. And, you know, I kept in touch with him after that and kept trying to see him, but he was sort of busy with other things. And, you know, in hindsight, probably was trying to avoid people because things weren't so good in his life. So, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like I left on a high with him. And I feel like that was a real shame because it was the last time I saw him and it was the first time he wasn't the Bernie of my memory. Although members gossiped, no hard facts appeared. When Bernie dies, I asked a couple of the club's waitresses if they knew what had happened. My questions drew uneasy, nervous looks. Clearly, they just didn't want to talk about it. Nor did many of Bernie's friends. One well-known media celebrity wrote to me, saying that he'd love Bernie, but conspicuously, he had nothing more to add. Odd that. In fact, I'm not sure Bernie had many real friends. He was a friend to the stars. But how many were genuinely friends to him? Ultimately, he was an outsider, merely a gatekeeper to a gilded, glamorous world. The irony of a restaurant at the Groucho named after Bernie has not been lost on some members. They suggest that the club's management is trying to atone belatedly for the treatment of their legendary employee. As one Irish member put it to me, there's a word in Irish that just about does the job. Naming the restaurant after Bernie was a classic example of plormus. It means empty flattery, ingratiating talk, disingenuous praise. They were blowing smoke up his ass. It was all a bit too late for that. Not one member of Bernie's large family attended the party to launch the restaurant. We asked them 
Groucho manager Def Conan told me, but they didn't want to come. That was their choice. Stephen Fry, a founder member of the Groucho, was perhaps closer to Bernie than most. My first impressions were of a huge, vibrant and outgoing personality, all hugs, grins, extravagant language and wild attire. His ability to diffuse any potentially ugly scenes was what most impressed. He was short in stature, but with the heart of a lion when it came to anyone, no matter what their size or how imposing their frame. He claimed to study some sort of martial art, and maybe he did, but it was the confidence with which he approached the drunk, the aggressive and the combative. He, he could either face them down as one strong man to another, or he would disarm with camp wit and impossible bravura. There probably was something sad about Bernie. It can't have been easy to watch so many people coming in and out, so many of whom seemed to have perfectly prosperous and easy lives, while he was always working late, 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 always at the mercy of whatever structural or managerial changes might come to make his life harder. It may seem glamorous to be a popular and well-known figure of the kind he was, but in fact there was a lot of work very little money, and too many temptations into addiction and late nights for either his physical or mental health. Was Bernie depressive? I think yes. When alone, a condition he rarely sought, he had demons that flew about his head. But what exactly were those demons that Stephen Fry talked about? In the end... Was he overcome by them? Or was it something or someone else that killed him? His family acknowledged that throughout his life he had suffered mental health issues. Friends also talked of him being done and ready to go by the time he reached the end of his life. But why? And why then? In part three, we'll look at the mystery of Bernie's last few months and why it all went wrong from the very moment he lost his job at the Groucho. In the next episode of Who Killed the Prince of Soho? He said it was about £9,000, but he got into £20,000 worth of debt with the Albanian gangsters in Soho. I met them downstairs here wearing canary yellow trousers. He said, if you take him, I take you. And if you want more, because we knew some other friendly Albanians. Yeah. And they nearly got to Albania more. And I said, this isn't happening and we're going to pay. There's a whole load of us put money in just to clear that mm. debt. Our cover art features photography from Andy Fallon and he can be found at andyfallon.co.uk. Many thanks to Soho Radio, 5 by 15 and all our contributors. Bernie, who killed the Prince of Soho? is a stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.